Hello and welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we fight bad information one fact at a time. I'm Alexis Conran, and in this episode, we'll look at a claim that just 7.7% of UK exports go to the EU. And of course, we will give the Dominic Cumming story the full fact treatment. Now, it's time to welcome Deputy Editor Claire Milne. Claire, how are you? I'm very well, Alex. It's been a busy week this week. Yes. Uh, <laughs> liaison committee, Dominic Cummings' story. But there's, of course, plenty of other stories doing the rounds this week. Now, one particular one I know that you've been looking into, it's quite relevant because we're going to see our schools opening up again next week. There was a claim that's doing around the Facebook posts claiming that 50 schools in France have had to close after having opened in the week beginning the 11th of May. Now, this story has been shared thousands of times. You've looked into it. What have you found? So we found out, first of all, that the story is broadly true. There were around 50 schools that had to close um, after they reopened earlier this month. But what the post needs is a little bit more context. So we found that the French education minister had said that 70 cases were found across 40,000 schools that had opened since the, the 11th of May. And that's around 1.4 million pupils returning to school, as well as all their teachers. And we don't know how those 70 cases were distributed across uh, children and, and teachers. We just know that there, there were those 70 cases. Claire, let's move on to a non coronavirus related story woohoo uh it's important to say that uh you guys are still looking at other stories stories that have nothing to do with coronavirus now this story started in the daily express on the 24th of may this was what was written it said brexit has seen the uk reduce eu exports to such a level that its reliance on the bloc for trade is down to a fraction of the nation's total exports. The data published and researched by pro-Brexit organisation Facts for EU show that just 7.7% of UK goods exports were with the EU. Even for me, 7.7% sounds a little bit low. Have they got this right? No. In a word, uh, the 7.7% figure is is significantly wrong. Um, we're actually talking about 46% of UK goods exports um, being with the EU. That's according to the, the latest data that we've got for 2019. What actually happened here was that the Express seemed to misquote figures that had been recently put in, out in a press release by Facts for EU, the pro-Brexit news site. And what Facts for EU actually said was, was the correct figure that 46% of UK goods goods exports go to the EU. Uh, and they also mentioned that that's 7.7% of GDP. And that figure is roughly correct. And the Express misquoted that and said that that was the figure for exports rather than the, the percentage of GDP that exports make up. So just a slight error there resulting in a massive, <laughs> massive error in meaning. Claire, thank you for that. You're going to stick with us and join uh, myself and Tom in the Ask for Facts section at the end of the podcast, where we'll be asking questions such as, can I meet up with my friend in the park who's carrying their baby? And plenty of other questions that you have sent into Full Fact. But now it is time for our main topic this podcast. May I welcome back Tom Phillips, the Full Fact editor. Tom, welcome. How are you? I'm OK, I think. Busy week, I would think. Busy week. Yeah, it's been a week. 
Planning on having a nice long bank holiday weekend off and spent it refreshing Twitter every 20 seconds. Well, of course, our main story this podcast concerns Dominic Cummings and, of course, that trip to Durham. You have really done a a sort of the full fact treatment on this statement by delving in and trying to have a look at what the advice was alongside the timings of uh, Dominic Cummings' movements uh, in regards to his statement. So he's told us exactly what he did when and what you guys at Full Fact have done is just look at the timeline and look at what the guidance was alongside the timeline on Mr Cummings's trip. Now, of course, you make the point in the article that's been written that the guidelines differ to what the law enforcement is. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, Tom? Why do we have that discrepancy between what the guidelines are, this is what the advice from the government is, and what the law says is lawful or not? This is something that's led, I think, to quite a bit of confusion because the law and the guidance are two different things. Basically put, the law is generally a bit less restrictive than the guidance. So the main piece of law around this that covered how you could travel during the lockdown period is the Health Protection Coronavirus Restrictions England Regulations 2020. And what that says is that you couldn't leave your home without a reasonable excuse. And then it goes on to list a bunch of things that could be reasonable excuses. Crucial thing about this, though, is that the list is not exhaustive because the law was written in such a way that they acknowledged there was no way they could think up every possible reason someone might have. So the law acknowledges that there could always be a reasonable excuse that they hadn't thought of. So while the list of things covers things like going to get medical supplies and things like that, just because something doesn't appear on that list doesn't mean that it couldn't possibly be a reasonable excuse. And so this leaves us with a level of uncertainty around what the law actually means in this case, because until something like that actually went to court and a court decided whether or not a particular thing counted as a reasonable excuse, we don't really have any way of saying definitively whether or not that would be a reasonable excuse. Of course, that doesn't mean that people can't make up their own minds about what was or was not reasonable. But in terms of what the law actually says, there is wiggle room there because it doesn't definitively ban things. It always gives a little bit of get out. Okay. Now, you've looked at the government guidance on travel specifically. Yeah. Let's look at that. As far as I can tell, the guidance at the time was avoid traveling unless it's essential. Again, it's that word essential and what what could that possibly mean? But they, they do provide some guidance on that. Essential travel does not include visits to second homes, campsites, caravan parks or similar, whether for isolation purposes or holidays, people should remain in their primary residence. What more have they said? The guidance on essential travel was very explicit that going to a second home even if you're going to that second home so that you can isolate there does not count as essential travel and that would seem to be it that is pretty definitive and that's what Dominic Cummings did and therefore he broke the guidelines so what they're relying on is comments by uh, Dr Jenny Harris on the 24th of March which is a few days before his trip and also what the uh, Public Health England guidelines said about how to self-isolate the page it's on is called stay at home so you know once again the message is very clear stay at home but it does say if you are living with children you should keep following this advice to the best of your ability however we are aware that not all these measures will be possible And that's very much what they're relying on here, is that that's a get-out clause. 
the thing about this, though, is there was an awful lot of guidance on that page. It is not just saying stay at home. It's also giving advice on, you know, how to do your laundry if you've got an infection in your household. It's about, you know, cleaning surfaces that are touched regularly. It's about putting used tissues into a different rubbish bag to the rest of your regular rubbish. It's about keeping two metres away from vulnerable people. And so when it says that you may not be able to do all of these things, the reading of it that we have is that that refers to all of that advice on the page. And so fairly obviously, if you have children in the household, keeping two metres away from vulnerable people at all times may be a lot harder, you know, and, and things like that. So it's not clear that that advice necessarily specifically relates to the central message, which is stay at home. And it also says, and this is, I think, the really important bit, it is nevertheless important to do your best to follow this guidance. And so this is really where the question lies, is did Dominic Cummings do his best? So if you compare it to also what Dr. Harris said on the 24th of March, she was asked about, you know, what should parents do if they're a single parent or if both parents are ill, they can't do that. And this has been used a lot to say that, you know, it had been made clear that you you could do this. And actually what she says is clearly if you have adults who are unable to look after a small child, that is an exceptional circumstance. And if the individuals do not have access to care support, formal care support or to family, they will be able to work through their local authority hubs. It says, ask family, friends and neighbours to support you and use online services. If this is not possible, then the public sector, businesses, charities and the general public are gearing up to help those advised to stay at home. It says repeatedly that you should be trying to get help to stay at home, not that you should be travelling. And it's important to mention that when asked by a journalist at that press briefing in the in the Rose Garden, uh, Mr Cummings said that he had not tried to seek help locally in London. He said, I don't think it would have been reasonable for me to ask a, some friend to come and expose themselves to a deadly virus when a 17-year-old niece had already volunteered to do it for me. It says that you should be discussing this with friends and family and neighbours and your employer and all that sort of thing. And this is the point, is that he... According to his own statement, he doesn't seem to have done that. He's just decided not to do it, whereas that is what they're saying he should be doing. So that really puts this... This seems to be the key question in terms of whether or not he broke this guidance, is did he do his best to stay at home, or did he make a snap call to just not do that? Let's move on to the trip to Barnard Castle. This is the trip on Easter Sunday, April 12th where Dominic Cummings stated that he drove to Barnard Castle in order to see whether he was capable of driving. It's a 30-minute round trip, and it's a local, uh, I guess, attraction, Barnard Castle. It's not really for us to say how plausible this is. I think probably the listeners can and probably have already made up their own minds about how plausible this part of the story is. But, you know, let's look at what the guidance and the law actually said at that time. So according to the timeline that Mr Cummings set out, this was after the 14-day isolation period that you were supposed to observe. So he said that he fell ill on the 28th of March, and so this trip would have come just after that 14-day isolation period would have ended. So the question is, what was the purpose of that trip? Because you were allowed to drive to take exercise if you needed to get to somewhere that was maybe more isolated, that were fewer people. So it was allowed to drive in order to take exercise. But very clearly, it says that you needed 
to take more exercise than driving. Basically, you needed to be walking or jogging or whatever you were doing for longer than it took you to drive. In、mm-hmm. fact, the the guidance really explicitly says driving for a prolonged period with only brief exercise was not likely to be a reasonable excuse. And that was published by the National Police Chiefs Council, based on guidance from the Crown Prosecution Service. So, according to Mr. Cummings' statement, they drove for a total round trip of sixty minutes or so, and they got out of the car for fifteen minutes and walked ten to fifteen meters to sit by a nearby riverbank. So that definitely wouldn't count as exercise. However, what he's saying is that this was actually essential. To him returning to work, and so he's using it to say that it was permitted to travel to go to work if you could not work from home. It's unclear to me that a test drive to see if you were good to drive to work counts. It seems quite tenuous to link that to the advice that you're allowed to travel for work purposes. I know we've been saying the guidelines are not exhaustive. Can I drive to test my eyesight? It's not addressed in the guidelines, but do you think it would qualify as excusing that trip in legal terms when it comes to the law? So, of course, what we've mostly been talking about here is the guidance as opposed to the law, and the two are distinct, as we said at the beginning.、Um, of course, Durham Police have since come out with a statement about this whole incident, and they have indicated that. Uh, the Barnard Castle trip probably did not count as a reasonable excuse under law.、Uh, the, the statement is slightly confusingly worded, but they said that they would have advised Mr. Cummings to return to his residence in Durham, which indicates that they think that it would have been a breach. It is not up for the police to determine legality; that's for the courts. But if they're saying that they would have advised him to go home, then that is in line with the、uh, police guidelines on how to engage with people who are in breach of the regulations. So legally, it does seem that the police, at least, do not think that trip counted as a reasonable excuse. The question, however, of Whether or not the initial trip to Durham counted, Durham police said that they thought that was a reasonable excuse under law. So then there's the question of did it comply with the guidelines as well as the law? And so it all gets very confusing, frankly. Polling evidence indicates that a clear majority of the public think that he did breach the lockdown rules. And I think this actually gets us to the really interesting and key question here, because the question of whether or not Dominic Cummings broke lockdown rules is obviously politically important. But the really, really important question is: Do the rest of us have the ability to do this? Are we allowed to do this? Were we allowed to do this all along? That's the question that really matters. For people all across this country who are having to make difficult, often heartbreaking decisions every single day about whether or not they can travel to see loved ones, to see relatives, to get help, we actually put a series of questions to the Department of Health, to the Cabinet Office, that weren't asking, "Did Dominic Cummings break the rules?" They were asking, "Can you clarify if other people are allowed to do this?" I will actually read out the questions that we put, or at least some of them. Does the guidance allow all members of a household to travel to a location other than their primary residence if one member of the household is showing symptoms of COVID nineteen? 
and they feel that in the event members of the household may become sick in future, care for a person in the household may be easier to provide in that location. More broadly, does the guidance allow for members of a symptomatic household that is isolating to travel to a second location if they feel they would be better able to self-isolate at that second location? And does the guidance allow for members of a household in which nobody is currently showing symptoms travel to that second location if they feel they would be better able to provide care or to self-isolate at that second location? These are questions that are on people's minds. I think we probably all know people who would like to have been able to do those things. Not everybody has parents with an entire spare home on their property, but nonetheless, many, many people would have been able to get help with childcare from family. They would have been able to see loved ones. You know, these are real questions. So we put those questions to the Department of Health and Social Care and to the Cabinet Office. And what answers did you get? The Department of Health and Social Care replied... All of our guidance related to travel and childcare during COVID-19 can be found on gov.uk. Right. Basically said, look at our website. The Cabinet Office pointed to the page we've been talking about with the stay-at-home guidance on it and quoted the paragraph about if you are living with children, keep following this advice to the best of your ability. However, we are aware that not all these measures are possible. So they both just pointed back to the website. And I think this comes to the key question. Good information in a public health crisis is absolutely vital. It is extremely clear that if what Dominic Cummings did was allowed, then most people in the country did not realise they were allowed to do that. And I would think that if it was in fact allowed, then those questions we put to them should have been able to have a simple yes or no answer rather than just look at our website. It's very clear that there is confusion at the very least about what is on their website. And so I think this is the real problem is, you know, we are trying, you know, we have been trying to provide good, reliable information to the public throughout this crisis. And if the government themselves cannot give a clear answer on whether or not you're allowed to travel to get help with care from relatives, if you're sick or if you think you might become sick, then this is not ideal, to say the least. Let's move on to some stories that sort of sprung up on either side of this narrative. The first one is that Dominic Cummings, in that statement, made a very, very clear point that he has been blogging about pandemics such as the coronavirus for quite some time. That uh, caused, of course, a lot of internet sleuths to get onto his blog post to find out what he said and when he said it. What did he say and when did he say it? Now, to be clear... He didn't specifically say, go look at my blog. He just said he'd been writing about it. So it's possible that he's talking about, you know, some internal document that he prepared for government that none of us have seen. But if you're on social media, you may well have seen this doing the rounds, is that someone went and looked at his blog and found that a reference specifically to coronaviruses had in fact been added recently. If listeners aren't aware of it, there's a service called the Wayback Machine, the Internet Archive Wayback Machine, which lets you compare what web pages look like at different points in time. So yes, if you look at the comparison, you can see that this blog post was edited to include an explicit reference to coronaviruses. And it was actually edited on the 14th of April, which is the day that he got back to work. I can imagine that this Wayback Machine is very handy for fact checkers. It is. It is extremely handy. And in fact, if you look at the piece that we've been discussing, I'll I'll look at what the guidance said 
at the time of Dominic Cummings' trip, we actually, you, the links to the guidance we use there are to Wayback Machine versions of those pages. It's one of those little tools like reverse image searching that fact checkers use an awful lot and we'd love more of the public to know a little bit more about them. Well, I'll be honest, I'd heard about it, but I'd completely forgotten about it. Now I'm going to be using it a lot more. <laughs> There's another claim doing the rounds that his sister is a director of the company that has been running the new NHS Track and Trace app. Yeah, that's not true. Uh, so this is a company called IDOX, uh, and there is a person called Alice Cummings, who is a director there. Alice Cummings is not Dominic Cummings' sister. Cummings is her married name. Uh, she just married a guy called Cummings. She's not related to him. IDOX confirmed to us that as far as they're aware, they are not no known relation to Dominic Cummings. And also, IDOX isn't running the NHS Track and Trace app. So, yeah, that claim is completely wrong. Right. It is now time to uh, move on to our Ask for Fact section. This is the section where you, dear listener, get to send us questions and the team, not me, uh, the team get to look into them and answer them for you. You can send your question, just record it on your phone and email it to us, podcast at fullfact.org, or you could just send it in in text form. But it's much more fun to hear your voice on the podcast. Now, um, quite a few times we've had this first question. Uh, Claire is back with us. Can you go to work if your partner works in a ward treating COVID-19 patients? I guess it's quite important, this one. Yes, we, we got asked this question quite a lot. And we, we put the question to Public Health England. We, we couldn't find if, if whether or not there was, there was any guidance when we went, went looking ourselves. So we put the question to Public Health England. And they told us that there is no specific guidance on whether partners of those who are working with COVID-19 patients can go back to work or not. We've heard in some cases that healthcare workers have chosen themselves to isolate from their families, particularly if someone in their family is vulnerable or shielding. But there's no particular guidance um, available around what they should do in that situation. So to be clear, you could be living with someone in your household who is a care worker or works in a hospital who may be coming into contact with COVID-19 symptoms. That doesn't prevent you from going to your own work. No, so there's no guidance that would say one way or the, or the other on that, so that there's nothing to say that you, you can't go back to work. Obviously, if, if you do find yourself showing symptoms, there's a whole different set of guidelines for what you have to do there to self-isolate and, and so on that we've heard about so often. But if, if you don't have any symptoms, there are no guidelines for whether you should go back to work or not. Thank you, Claire. Uh, Tom, here's another one we've had quite a few times. Can I meet up with my friend in the park who is carrying their baby? I guess the guidelines at the moment are you can only meet one person from an outside household. Does the baby count as 1.5? Yeah, so the, the baby is also a person. So, yes, this, again, was a situation where uh, there was confusion and uncertainty about uh, the government guidelines and so again we were asked this and so we put the question directly cabinet office spokesperson told us uh, the regulations are clear that gatherings of more than two people outside are still banned if they are not all members of the same household so yes a baby counts as a person and so if you have your baby with you you can't meet with other people because then that's two members of the same household um, I think that's a really interesting example of once again where the guidelines are not necessarily clear and also crucially where like this sort of exhortation to use common sense doesn't necessarily work because, like, in lots of circumstances, 
a baby doesn't count as a person. You know, like you don't need to buy them an extra ticket if you're on a, going on a plane. Obviously, none yeah. of us are going on planes yeah. right now. But you know, in lots and lots and lots of ways, we don't think of babies as counting as one extra person in that same sort of way. And so, I think it's perfectly understandable that some. I mean, you know, I'm not going to dob them in, but I know that some friends of mine have therefore accidentally broken these guidelines because mm-hmm. it never occurred to them for a second that the baby they're carrying with them counted as a second person and also you that means that you are you are condemning every single uh, single parent with a child that cannot just be left at home alone basically they cannot come come into contact with anybody absolutely and so this is another situation where like i think it's fairly obvious that the government guidance could be clearer but as i say we put the question to them they came back with an answer so we can at least now share that information with our listeners and with our readers tom uh thank you very much as ever both uh, tom and claire that's it from us that's uh, the end of our podcast uh, thank you for listening to the full fact podcast you can find previous episodes and any future ones on Acast, iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you can think of. Be sure to subscribe, and the latest episode will be ready on your device every Friday morning. And, of course, in late breaking news, shortly before we finalised this podcast, the government announced that from Monday, uh, groups of up to six people will be able to meet outside as long as they keep two metres apart. And so that somewhat removes the burden, for example, as you said, on single parents. Uh, But it's probably worth bearing in mind that, yes, still then, I expect babies will count towards that total of six people. (laughs) 